take a deep breath and remember there's a power breathing you. This is your space of sanity in an evolving world where we learn about spiritual law and how to apply it to our lives in a way that is practical and life-changing. This is where we remember truth to make the world a better place one person at a time. I'm Claire Lotier, inspirational speaker, teacher of the technology of transformation, and a certified life mastery consultant and spiritual coach. Welcome to the Grace Space. Today, you'll get to listen in on a soulful conversation with my friend and colleague, Juanita Campbell Rasmus. Juanita and I met through our common mentor, Mary Morrissey, and we just hit it off. I was so attracted to her grace, her elegance, her noble bearing, her gift of listening, and her energy of blessing. She is just walking around bathing in the spirit. And she's someone whose life is so clearly and consciously infused with spirit that it's elevating just to be near her. But things have not always been easy for Juanita. I never would have known when I met this powerful and present woman that she had been through a three-year major depressive episode where she couldn't even get out of bed. She talks to us today about that period of her life, what it taught her, and how this dark night of the soul was the means by which her perception of herself and spirit was healed and transformed. Juanita is a pastor, spiritual director, and contemplative with a passion for coaching people to live their most expansive lives. Juanita co-leads the St. John's Church in downtown Houston with her husband, Rudy. She travels speaking on spirituality and the transformational lessons she learned after her life-altering major depressive episode. Her memoir chronicling this dark night of the soul, entitled Learning to Be, Finding Your Center After the Bottom Falls Out, was published by InterVarsity Press and released in the fall of 2020. And she's also written another book, 40 Days on Being a One. It's an Enneagram Daily Reflections or part of that uh, Enneagram Daily Reflections series, and that was released in 2021. So if you're someone who feels like you've had the rug of life pulled from under Juanita, I am just so thrilled to see your face across from me on the Zoom and to introduce you to the listeners of The Grace Space. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Claire. It's a pleasure and an anti- a greatly anticipated honor. <laughs> well, thank you for that. I just have to tell everybody that before we pushed record, Juanita led us in a beautiful prayer. And I was inspired by uh, the intentionality that she brings to everything that she does and her open dialogue with spirit. And that is something that I really, really admire. And I see that she trusts that so much. She's inspired me that way. And I want to start off by asking 
Have you always had this open dialogue with spirit? Do you always feel spirit as your companion? No. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) You know, I, um, Clara, and that's such a good question. Um, It reminds me of just how much our faith journey is indeed a journey. Um, You know, I started this journey as a little girl um, being introduced to Christianity, but I wasn't introduced to spirit. Mm. I was introduced to God. I was introduced to Jesus, but the spirit was kind of out there somewhere. And um, because of, I guess, my being a type one on the Enneagram and needing things to be black and white, right or wrong, good or bad, you know, all that kind of dualistic thinking. Um, it took me a while to recognize that the grand invitation in relationship with um, the Trinitarian God is in relationship to the presence, divinely present in us. And so for me, it began a journey um, probably when I was about, and I'm sure it happened earlier, but it's a definitive line in the sand, if you will, when I was about 37. Um, because I realized that I had been relying on the God of my understanding at that point. And that was very much a judgmental God. Uh, you better get it right, God. If you mess up, you go to hell, God. Just very punitive, very judgmental. And of course, I was very punitive and very judgmental towards myself and others in ways that I you know, regret, but I'm grateful that I've grown beyond. And so at some, at the at that point, around age 37, um, the spirit spoke to me, now hold on, through a fortune cookie. When I cracked it open, the fortune said, rules without relationship equal rebellion. And I thought it was a parenting tip. And I talk <laughs> about that in learning to be. I thought it was a parenting tip. So I took the fortune cookie, I put it on the frid- refrigerator, and I said, hey, from here on out, I'm going to be aware that this is really not about rules between my daughters and I and my husband and the daughters, but this is about a relationship. It took about 365 days of seeing that every day on my refrigerator as I would go to prepare a meal to realize that was for me. <laughs> oh, gosh, I love it. Oh, Some of us I are love slower it. learners than others. Well, you know, it makes me laugh with joy, Juanita, because first of all, you and I have that in common. I was always a rule follower. I needed to know where the parameters were in order to feel safe, you know, and so I really resonate with that. I also resonate with how we take things. We don't realize that things are to be taken for us and not for other people, uh, Or and, and sometimes it takes a while to catch on. And I remember when I came to that point in your book, Learning to Be, which we're going to talk about, uh, I, I underlined and highlighted that paragraph because it's so, you know, I think that the universe has a wonderful, such a wonderful sense of humor. <laughs> yes, thank God. <laughs> oh my goodness, yes. You talk about the Enneagram a lot in your book as well. Tell us about your your discovery of the Enneagram and what it means to you. Well, you know, I discovered the Enneagram um, again around 37. It may be a a few years before, a few years after, but uh, 37 was a significant time for me because as I discussed, it, it, it was the, the moment of my crash. And so for mm-hmm. me, it was the uh, realization that so much of what I 
thought made me Juanita really didn't make me Juanita because my Juanita was very um, tied to rules, performance, acceptance, people pleasing, uh, the roles that I played and uh, being able to measure my performance and uh, being able to have a, 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 an accounting of my actions and that kind of thing. And um, when I crashed, um, the, the, the psychological definition was a major depressive episode, but my grandmother would have known nothing of a major depressive episode, but she knew something about a nervous breakdown. Right. And um, so I'm real comfortable with calling it a nervous breakdown or uh, using the DSM-4, the Diagnostical Statistical Manual for Interpreting Mental Health Conditions and saying <laughs> it was a major depressive episode. But it was in that time between seeing a psychiatrist, taking medication, having... Um, talk therapy every other week, that the spirit asked me two critical questions and they were transformative. And I've come to since realize that they are not just two questions for me, but these are universal questions for all of humanity. And the first was, who are you? And so relying as I tended to do on outside information being a resource for me, I took the Myers-Briggs, I, uh, Florence Littauer uh, has written some books around Personality Plus, and so I did that, I did True Colors, I did all these things because I was seeking to answer, who am I? Because you see, at that point, I was sleeping 18 to 20 hours a day, I couldn't get out of bed, couldn't function as a wife, uh, and my whole MO had been be a good wife, good mother, a good pastor, a good sister, a good daughter, a good, you know, you name it, put good in front of it. And I wanted to be that. Mm -hmm. And so it's all, it was all about the roles that I played. It was never about who was I divinely and uniquely as uh, a human being um, crafted in the image of spirit, right? Yeah. It was it was always about the rapper, never about the content. And so when I found the Enneagram, I found the first tool that gave me such a supreme awareness. And this is the way the teacher explained it, because I took a, a course at the Jung Center here at Houston, the Carl uh, G. Jung Center here. And the teacher said that, in essence, all of our personalities are the equivalent of a pie. And in the center of the pie is God. And that when we slice the pie and we create our number, so I'm number one on the Enneagram, that I, at my best, am a representation of the image of God in me living in this world as one eater. When I'm not at my best, when I am, I always like to say when I'm thin, when I'm empty, right, then I am furthest away from that ideal image of the representation of God. But I am no less God. And for me, that was so important because I had grown up with this real heavy handed sin, uh, damnation kind of gospel and it was very um, paralyzing in many ways. And when I found the Enneagram, 
it made the gospel make sense to me. Mm. And it mm. gave me a way of seeing that there were some things about me that were good and right. And that I offered the world a way of seeing that if I would fine tune that scene, I wouldn't just see the black, I wouldn't just see the white, but I'd see the nine million shades of gray. And I would also see the nine million colors of the rainbow mm -hmm. expressed as life longing to live in me and through me. But not just that, life longing to live in and through the other that I might encounter. And so the Enneagram, it freed me um, to begin to move away from the rigidity that I have been living my life with. And needless to say, when a person lives with rigidity, it's not just imposed on themselves, they impose it on others as well. And so that became judgment. You know, um, I was very judgmental. I like to say I'm in recovery, but every now and then I, I uh, relapse, right? Mm -hmm. um, because it had up until now been such an ingrained pattern, but I am seeing such richness, you know, such uh, richness in personalities and in, and in story because the Enneagram helped me to claim my story and in doing so helped me to make space for the story of the other. Mm. So, yeah, it's been an amazing tool. Um, matter of fact, my second book is called 40 Days on Being a One. It's a 40-day devotional. Um, and I always say it's for, uh, it's for all ones and it's for anyone who is <laughs> seeking to live their most expansive life. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm going to have to get that one next because, you know, when when you and I met, uh, I can't. I don't think it was the first time you met, but the second time that we came together uh, at a at a conference and we actually were able to converse and spend some right. time together. I was going through a questioning because I was creating a course, mm -hmm. my first course, mm -hmm. uh, and it's called "From Burnout to Bliss in Forty Days." Wow. Because I recognize the 40-day cycle as yeah. a, an important uh, cycle of time in which transformation can begin to occur. And the question that I was asking myself was, is it enough for this course to be centered around being? Mm. And I asked, <laughs> I asked the universe for a sign. And that morning, you and I had a conversation at breakfast. And at the end of the conversation, you came up to me. We were all gathering in a group. And you came up to me and you said into my ear, the Holy Spirit told me to give you my book. And you handed it to me. And it said, learning to be. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I love it! <laughs> and I don't know if I ever told you that, but I was like, oh, okay, thank you. And I got no fewer than five signs that day that were all about beingness. And so, you know, there was a real uh, resonance there. And of course, in reading your book, 
uh, it's a very rich book uh, and a beautiful book that I want to recommend to a- anyone and everyone, as you say, you. Uh, who has been through uh, clinical depression or has hit bottom or has gone through a dark night of the soul, uh, as I certainly have. And the central message that I received from the book, which is actually contained in the title, the, what I interpret from it is that it is enough. It is enough to just be. We don't have to earn God's favor to be totally and unconditionally loved by this universe. And that is something that I've been focusing on with the podcast this season, our second season, uh, is is that um, living with ease and grace and letting go of striving and letting go of feeling like we have to manage life. We mm-hmm. have to, that if we don't manage it, it's going to mm-hmm. all fall apart. That is, a, yes. that is it's a delusion. Yes. It is a, a grand delusion, delusion isn't it? it is. Because it actually, is. and it's, and, and there's a passage in your book where you talk about when spirit asks you the question, will you let me take care of you? And that, you know, it brought tears to my eyes because I've had the same experience of realizing that I'm trying to take care of life and I could just let go and let life take care of me. So I wanted to ask you, how did you personally discover and, and confirm yourself in this truth? You know, it was the journey of my recovery, which was both a clinical diagnosis, as I mentioned, but As you just named, it was also the dark night of the soul. And, you know, I think that many of us experience the dark night of the soul in our 30s. Perhaps uh, some earlier 30s, others later 30s. Um, And then if we miss that window, there become other windows. Um, But for me, that whole window was a three-year excavation. And it was a three-year, I'm going to give you this example. Every day I would wake up having slept 18 to 20 hours a day and would just be flat out exhausted. Mm -hmm. Um, I slept and stayed in bed so long that I would turn from the left to the right and I would smell this terrible scent only to um, realize that was me because I hadn't bathed in probably months. I I, I honor my husband because how he could get in bed day in and day out with me and have that stench was just beyond me. But I say that because there's someone listening who is in that place, right? Mm -hmm. Every day I woke up feeling as though I was falling into this deep tunnel and I was spiraling down into this tunnel. And so I would wake up and would hate to go to sleep again because I knew the spiraling down would start again, only to realize that that was a physical or a kind of a, it felt physical. Uh, It felt as though it was a physical thing happening, but I realized it was um, a psychological and spiritual thing that was happening that I was having to fall to this bottom place where I was falling down past my ego, 
Mm. falling down past ego identification, you know, the ways that we show up in the world. And if we don't show up just right, we feel some kind of shame and some kind of guilt and some kind of fear and some kind of, and so I had to fall. And, you know, I think about when you look at a cutaway section of the mountains, how you see those different stratus. Uh, stratuses, divisions where different conditions were happening. And so you might see some dark red and some brown and some gray. And so I was literally falling down past and beyond all of that and dreading it every day. I was overwhelmed with a sense of dread. Only to realize that when I hit rock bottom, as my friends in recovery say, there present to me as though they had been waiting was Father, Amba, Amma, God, however you want to name mm-hmm. God. And I've learned to know God as mother and father. Mm-hmm. There present waiting on me was Jesus just sitting there as a brother saying, glad you made it. You know, <laughs> And then there was this beautiful fire and it was almost like being in a teepee. And so there was this wood fire there. Now, all of this is, of course, in my imagination, right? This fire, of course, is emanating smoke. And the smoke is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And it was as though I didn't know that if I would allow myself to die in this way that I was dying every day, that I would come to live. And the life was right there waiting on me. It was the most profound reality to know that in that space, nothing was being required of me. Nothing Nothing was really even being said to me. It was just filled with presence. And it was the most astonishing, amazing, galvanizing experience. I've ever had. Wow. And you know, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking of my own life and the things that I've been through and how the the dismantling of the ego, yeah. uh, you know, the way that it takes place little by little with this exquisite, well, <laughs> sometimes it doesn't feel so gentle, but we're only given what we can process and handle at any That's given right. time. And the you talked about the disidentification uh, from what you thought of as yourself, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and and the spiraling down and finding uh, God at the bottom, you know, yeah. and Jesus yeah. as a brother and the Holy Spirit, you know, the Trinity, and yeah. um, that's been um, I, I've I I relate to that in my own way, um, going through the Course in Miracles for example, and, and uh, shifting uh, the, the relationship that we have to reality and realizing that we don't see anything for what it is. That's right. we, we have a version of reality that we see, which is based on our own paradigm and based mm-hmm. on our wounds and our past and all of our programming, but that is not reality. It is mm-hmm. a projection, right? Yeah. And yet, in spite of all of that, I think it's taken me a long time to trust that there is no doom or yes. punishment yes. waiting for me right. down right. at the bottom. Right. right. Exactly. Exactly. 
And it was getting there. It was almost like we were having a tea party. You know, like <laughs> invitations had gone out. I was the only one that didn't open the invitation, right? And I show up and you're like, hey, glad you made it. We've been waiting on you know? And, and to be in that space where there's just so much warmth and love. And I remember, I'm trying to think, had I gotten to that place when I heard this? I don't think I had. There was a, a moment I, I'll always remember. It. I was laying in bed and Claire, I couldn't remember how to get up to go to the restroom. And so I was laying there and I'm thinking, how do I get out of this bed? And I remember thinking, um, well, maybe if I act like a pencil, I could just, and I, I don't know why that thought, why didn't I think a piece of wood, but anyway, <laughs> a pencil. <laughs> and I thought, well, if, if I act like a pencil, I could just roll myself off the bed onto the floor and then I could roll myself into the restroom, right? And so as I laid there, just trying to come up with an idea of how to get out the bed, the spirit said to me, now I'm going to tell you the way it sounded, okay, based on my paradigms and my projections. Look at you. You can't do anything for me, mm -hmm. but I love you, right? And it felt very damning. It felt in alignment with the God of my understanding at that point, right? But I'm so grateful that I couldn't get out of bed because if I'd been able to immediately get out of bed, I wouldn't have laid there long enough for God to break down what God was really saying, mm -hmm. which was more like this. Look at you. You have worn yourself out. You've worn yourself thin and ragged. And in many ways, You've even abused yourself. You can't do anything for me. I love you. I love you. And when I, whenever I've seen but in scripture, it's always the turning of a tide. Mm. And the spirit said, you can't do anything for me. But I love you. And for me, it was the, oh, so you mean I don't have to do anything for you? That your love for me is not precedented as I had perceived on what I could do for you. My to-do list and, and checking it off. And um, I always said that I saw God as somewhere between Judge Judy and Santa Claus, and they both could jack up your Christmas, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, um, with these lists and checking them twice and seeing if I was naughty or nice. And um, it was in that moment, too, that I had this awareness. And so I want to say to your audience, particularly to anybody that might be experiencing depression or, you know, COVID has given all of us a disorientation. Mm -hmm. And so while my book is a memoir of my experience with a major uh, mental health diagnosis, this is really for anybody who's felt the rug of life pull from under their feet. Mm 
Yeah. Whether that be because of a health diagnosis or a dream that blows up or a divorce or um, disappointment that has shattered your world. Um, we all, as long as we're breathing, are at some point going to have a moment of disorientation. Well, first of all, what you were saying about have the feeling of having the rug pulled out from under you, mm-hmm. um, it feels to me like what I what I if I could give a gift to every human on the planet right now, it would be to see this pandemic not as a punishment, not as something you know that that uh, that we have to dread and resist and fight, but rather as God's gift to us uh, to to bring us back to our center, to bring us back mm-hmm. to being right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and also because I mean, if you think about where it tends to be located, the lungs, the heart, mm-hmm. you know, the, this center mm-hmm. here, the heart chakra. If you you know if you know sure. what chakras are and all of that, sure. um, that's really that is to me. It's a call for humanity to move up to the level of the heart, and it's clearing all kinds of. Uh, stuckness and grief and everything that's represents a blockage to our ability to love, to love ourselves, to love one another, and and to realize uh, that we are loved. Right. Yes. So, yes. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I, I mean, I I was uh, very sick over Christmas. Uh, I I had some, even though I tested yeah, negative. Yeah, for, I did too <laughs> for COVID. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, I I had a real uh, cleansing uh, and purification of my lungs and my heart, and a big experience with my spiritual teacher at the place where I go for spiritual study, and I feel so much better. Now that it's over, I just feel better in my whole being now that that's mm-hmm. over because it feels like it did clear something. So I would love for for us to all be able to look at this situation from another perspective and um, and take it as healing, you know, take yes. it as a step in our evolution depending on, you know, and, and that's dependent on how we how we perceive it and if we're willing to accept it as a gift. And as you said in the prayer before we uh, before we started recording ourselves, to find the goodness, the seed of good in every situation, the opportunity in every yeah. situation. Exactly. Um, you know, I've been describing this pandemic as a chrysalis. Uh-huh. That we had a certain kind of orientation And now we've gone into this chrysalis space and we have an opportunity to decide the kind of person we will become when this is behind us. Mm -hmm. And it's a very individual journey. It's um, an opportunity, as one of our teachers says, to notice what we're noticing, Mm -hmm. to notice places in us that are restricted and constricted, to notice places and experiences and thoughts that are expansive. And then to begin to act on them. You know, many people, and I know um, in our case, as a pastor of a primarily African-American community, we have been, um, had unlimited deaths 
because of COVID, because of so many uh, comorbidity factors in our community. And one of the things that I've been inviting our congregation and those who would hear my voice uh, to do is to begin to think about the life you really would love living, Mm -hmm. the most expansive life. We will probably not know a pause button in our lives the way we've known a pause, courtesy of this pandemic. And the, the real loss would be for us to rush back to the old without claiming the information that has been given to us and the awarenesses that we could step into and uh, live into. And I have just been so personally grateful. First of all, I'm a contemplative. And so silence and solitude are my best friends. Now, that's not the case for everybody, but (laughs) this has just ramped up the silence and solitude aspect for me in many ways. Um, And so I see this pandemic as having the capacity to free people. And I'm seeing some signs of freedom. Mm-hmm. Oh, I certainly am seeing those signs too. And when I look at all of my clients and how rapidly they are changing now, uh, it, it feels like something has been loosened. Something mm-hmm. has started to let go, started to free. And for me, it's really been a, uh, a lot about my own personal journey through this pandemic has been about surrender and letting mm. go, right? And trusting, mm. really deeply trusting, it is enough for me to be. In fact, nothing means anything if right. I don't put being first exactly. and allow this universe to work through me and to create through me and to really just give up any notion of the personal will uh, taking precedence over right. the the will of the infinite. And yes. that if I could just continue to surrender to the will of the infinite, that everything will be taken care of. Everything will be looked after. And I have yes. found that to be true. Yes, indeed. I, I did all here. Absolutely. I am finding that. Um, I mentioned to you that my mother <clears throat> has been diagnosed with cancer and she starts radiation today. And while that is not a diagnosis you would want for anyone, uh, and I certainly don't desire it for her, um, but what I'm, I'm real mindful of is to keep my eyes open for the good. What is the good that's happening here? How is my mom being invited by this diagnosis? Because remember, I said learning to be is not just about a mental health diagnosis. Some of us can get so, if you will, bamboozled (laughs) by what we think life is about. And then we have these moments where we can engage the awakening process. Mm. And so for me, my prayer is that and it's amazing, you know, you were talking about the lungs. That's where this body is, is on a lung. Oh. So it's my prayer that this will be 
a, a significant transformation for her, a freeing of herself to be her best self. Um, she has claimed a couple of um, identities that, again, fall in that column of roles and mm. positions, right? And I'm just praying without trying to pry. Because when the caterpillar goes into the chrysalis and begins its transformation, especially with the monarch butterfly, which is what I attract in my yard by the plants I grow, mm. the chrysalis starts out as this kind of opaque green color. And it ends up having what looks like little diamonds around the uh, circumference of it. It is the coolest thing to see. <laughs> and when the monarch is getting ready to crack out of that chrysalis, it can be very tempting to want to help it. Right? Mm -hmm. But recently, one of those uh, monarchs opened and landed on my driveway and ended up dying because its wings were so deformed. Mm. And I don't know what created it, but I do know that had I tried to open the chrysalis, I would have been the cause of the deforming uh, and then ultimate death of this butterfly because they have to do the work themselves. <laughs> That's right. That's so my right. prayer is that for those of us who are experiencing the chrysalis, that we'll be kind and gentle with ourselves, and those of us who are aware of someone else being in the chrysalis, that we'll stand back in awe and wonder, and we'll hold the space of their becoming without interrupting or prying so that their manifestation is complete and organic. Um, yeah. Amen. And let's remember, too, that when, when the caterpillar goes into the chrysalis, it's not like it goes into the chrysalis and gets wings added onto it. No. No. The, the caterpillar <laughs> is dissolved. That's right. Becomes liquid. It becomes liquid, right? And then... And then it is reborn as another yes. being. Yes. Is there any more beautiful metaphor that we could be given by a benevolent universe mm -hmm. as a reminder than this one? Yeah, <laughs> and you know what's so amazing to me about this is that I remember very clearly while I was, um, when I was at that really kind of extremely depleted uh, physical place, in my um, diagnosis and recovery, and, and I just say diagnosis for people who need a term. I mean, it was the spirit, it was the dark night of the soul. It was the Humpty Dumpty set on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, and all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Because if the horses and the king's men could have put Humpty together again, they would have made Humpty the same old Humpty, and mm -hmm. Humpty would have fallen all over again. That's right. And so for me, I'm I really value the fact that we get to do this and that that butterfly uh, showed up, it, it physically showed up for me. Uh, one day, the spirit said, go outside 
And and I was just, oh, I was like, oh my God. It felt the idea of going outside, it was only a few hundred feet maybe to my back door, right? But it it was like saying, run a 5K, go out and run a marathon mm-hmm. because I was so depleted. And so I go to the back door, I open the door and there's this butterfly circling at my back door and it circles and then it goes out to my backyard and it comes back and it circles the door and I'm watching this, right? And then it goes back out and it comes back. And so what I came to realize is that there was an official invitation for me to go and be outside Mm -hmm. that I'd been in the house too long. And one of the things that happens with depression is that you're often depleted of vitamin D. So the spirit was inviting me to go outside and get some sun to help with my recovery. And so the recovery process in many ways had that kind of organic nature where spirit was guiding me one step at a time. I told you there were two critical questions that the spirit asked me. And the first one was, who am I? The second one was, what do you want? Mm. What do you want? I've since, um, thanks to one of our teachers, uh, began to expand that to what would you really love? Mm. What would you really love? And at that point, I realized, or, or, or over time, not so much in that moment, but I began to realize that I had not been living my life from a place of desire, mm. from a pa- place of pleasure or joy. I had been th- living my life from a place of a to do list. Right. The grimness of hard work right. and believing in the virtue of that exactly as, as redemptive, right? And this this is a a, a twisted, uh, a deformed way of seeing reality, right? And it comes exactly. from the old paradigm that we were all living in for the last twenty sure. five hundred, three thousand years. Right, you know? right. The amazing thing, though, is that that paradigm has shifted. Now it's That's gone. Right. Definitely. Now, even though we still cling to it, I really believe that part of this chrysalis that we're all in is is completely learning to just let go of all of that and That's be right. remade again uh, right. in in the in the image of true of the truth, which is yeah. there's only love. This universe yeah. is for us, not against yeah. us. That's Everything right. is here to support us. And the question that you asked, what would you really love? That is. To me, I mean, that's a very powerful rephrasing of what do you want? Because what would you really love brings you up into the energy of the heart, this heart that's that right. we're all healing now that's through right. this pandemic, right. you know, that's and right. and when that frequency of love is present, we're actually connecting to the divine will for us. And that's what I right. think is so powerful is that when you ask yourself the question, what would you, what would I really love? You connect to that divine will because God would never give you any desire that, first of all, it, it, God could not fulfill, but also right. that wasn't the will of God for that's you. That's exactly right. That's exactly <laughs> right. And that's, isn't that amazing, you know, to come to that realization? So um, let me give you an example of what happened um, when the Spirit asked me, what, would, what, what, do you, what, what do you want? What do you want? And I was thinking... God, my mind is so shut down. I couldn't give you a hint of what I would want because I don't know, right? And I started thinking about my life and how um, nobody was really asking me what I wanted and how that hadn't been a model for me. Even in the restaurants that my husband and I frequented, 
And I remember specifically one particular restaurant because my husband is a creature of habit and there are certain restaurants he particularly enjoys, right? And so we get to the restaurant, which this restaurant we have been going to for like 30 years. And the waiter said, Miss Rasmus, you want your regular? And so to think that I have been going to this restaurant ordering the same thing so long that this waiter knew what I was going to order, which I was always thinking I was making a decision, right? <laughs> Come on. That's something for somebody, right? <laughs> I was always thinking I was making a decision. And this person had been paying attention enough, partially because my husband is a great tipper. Um, <laughs> and that tips create family every in every restaurant, right? And that awareness made me realize that if what I had been eating was on automatic pilot, what else was on automatic pilot? Oh, yeah. And what other ways in my life had I not been dreaming, desiring, looking forward to, longing for? And in how many ways had I shut that flow down for what I thought was appropriate, expedient, would get the job done, would get the need met, but would Check the to-do list, you know? Mm. And so that's such an important question. Number one, who am I? Number two, and as I said, I've changed it from one. I used the Jahari's window in my TED talk to talk about this. Mm. Um, <clears throat> what would I want? What would I need? What would I love? Um, because I think sometimes if we don't acknowledge that we have some things we absolutely need, there are some things we... Um, perhaps would want. And then there are some things we would just absolutely love, you know, dessert first. You know? <laughs> um, and so as I talk about that on my TED talk, and since that time, I have, and because of the influence of one of our teachers, the idea of what would I love absolutely resonates and takes that to places that I've seen um, when I'm working with my clients and, and, uh, in our coaching and so forth, I see people look as dumbfounded as I did when God asked me, what would you want, right? Mm -hmm. For me, um, it took me a while. Matter of fact, the Spirit said to me, what's something, you, where's, where's someplace you've always wanted to go? And I was, again, emotionally and, and just mentally, think of your brain as a sponge that was dry and it's supposed to be extremely moist to function well. That's how my brain felt. And so um, I said, God, I don't know. You know me. So could you tell me where someplace I've always wanted to go? And so the, the spirit said, Africa, you've always wanted to go to Africa. And for the life of me, that didn't register with me like anything. I was like, okay, I've always wanted to go to Africa. And that was in, say, October. And so I said, okay, um, I want to go to Africa. And I just said it. I wasn't, like, convinced. I wasn't moved by the notion anything, right? I was just saying it because the Spirit said it. Um, and in learning to be, I talk about creating a want to file. 
where you put images and pictures and words that seem to to point to some aspect of longing that's within you, right? And so I began to put words and pictures. And so I wrote the word Africa and put it on a piece of paper and dropped it in that file. And I saw a hot air balloon in a magazine. I ripped that out and put it in there. I saw somebody skydiving. I ripped that out. I put that in there. And so I began to put things in this file. And from time to time, I pull it out and look at it. Well, I know, and even then knew enough about the brain that if I kept putting images before me, those images would get into me. And Mm. so when I put the Africa in, in in, uh, October, in January, I got a letter from our denomination asking me if I would go of all places where? (laughs) To To Africa. Africa. (laughs) For the United Nations Conference on World Racism. And as a United Methodist pastor, you'd have to understand that on the hierarchy, um, I'm a bottom feeder. (laughs) (laughs) In in terms of the great white whale in the the ocean, I'm probably a little uh, snail eating the debris off the base of 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 the floor of the ocean, right? So how did I get this letter? Right. Wow. Wow. And so then you recognize the power of desire, the power of longing, the power of naming what you would absolutely love and leaving the how up to God, but holding in your heart that thing you would long for, the thing or things that And when I say things, they're not always things. Sometimes it's about a healed relationship. Sometimes it's about um, time and money freedom to be able to, as an example, this past week, uh, my granddaughter, who is 19 months old, tested positive for COVID. Mm -hmm. I was able to drop my week and go stay with her so that her parents could go back to work. Um, They've been off for almost a month. Uh, between my grandson getting COVID and having to stay home 10 days and 10 school days, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, just all of this stuff. Um, and so the time and money freedom might be something you're longing for. Maybe it's health and well-being. Um, one of the things that my grandson inspired in me, he's four, and he's inspired me. He, my grandchildren call me Gemma. For Jim of them all, how you like? <laughs> I needless to say, I gave him the name, but <laughs> but but what um, he inspired me to do because he likes to play. He's four, and so he loves to crawl on things and jump off of things and run around. And so I want to play with him, and I want to run around. And so one of my um, health and well-being goals is to be fit enough to play with him without huffing and puffing my way through it because he's only going to be four and only going to want to play so long. And I don't want to miss it because I've not cared well for my body. You know what I'm saying? And so that's one of the things I, I am loving is um, working with my trainer, even as I say to myself, Oh my goodness, this is requiring a lot of me. Right. Um, And then I find that I have more stamina and I have more physical strength. 
so that I can grab him and scoop him up in my arms and twirl him around or whatever mm-hmm. else it is that I want to do and he wants me to do, you know. There are probably, I know lots and lots of people, certainly I've worked with lots and lots of people who have a deep desire to help a deep desire to serve others. Uh, And you're certainly one of those people. I'm one of those people. You can't do it from a place of empty. You can only do it when you are so full that you are, your bounty is so overflowing that it naturally flows out onto other people. And, and, you know, if we can't accept the gifts that the infinite wants to give us every minute of the day because we're locked up into a a paradigm, a way of seeing things that is about limitation, lack mm-hmm. of trust, mm-hmm. uh, all of that, then, then what well, we really are seeing things backwards. And what I love about your message, Juanita, is it's a, it's a reversal of this distortion that we've mm-hmm. been hypnotized by for mm-hmm. so long. Mm-hmm. I guess I'd like to ask you one final one final question or or if if you would tune in to spirit right now what what is the message that spirit has for everyone who's listening to this podcast What I hear clearly is trust the process of un- unfolding that is occurring within you. Trusting the process um, can be honored by noticing it. Noticing what might be shifting in you. Notice what might be uh, longing in you. Notice what might be discontentment, the sense that I I, I I can't do this anymore. This isn't working for me anymore. Uh, that sense of waking up in the morning saying, oh my God, another day. And not, oh my God, another day. <laughs> so learning to trust the process of unfolding and knowing that The spirit is very good with unfolding. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for that. Mm. Is there anything uh, that's coming up that you're uh, teaching or speaking at or anything that you'd like our our listeners to know about where they could find you? Sure. uh, Get in touch with you. Absolutely. Get involved in your work. Oh, thank you so much for asking. Well, um, they can go to my website, JuanitaRasmus.com, and it has all my social media uh, connections on there. I'm launching um, the Learning to Be Master Course, and it's called Finding Your Freedom, Living a Life You Love. And it's an eight-week course, and we'll be doing some real work of um helping to get rid of those, as you put it, incredulous looks on faces when you say, what would you love? Uh, we'll be working with moving through paradigms that have held us back from even pursuing the things that we would truly love. Um, and we'll be, uh, over that eight-week period of time, creating a community of support, uh, a structure of support 
so that as we dream these vivid and life-giving, vivacious and vital dreams, we have a place where they can land. We have a place where they can be supported and tools to help us to um, make good use of the chrysalis of this eight-week experience. Mm. Um, so I'm really grateful and so excited and proud of that. Uh, I pastor a congregation here in Houston and have been doing so for, this is our 30th year. My husband mm. and I co-pastor together. And so I not only have learning to be, finding your center after the bottom falls out as my first book, but my second book, as I mentioned earlier, is right here. And that is 40 Days on Being a One. Mm. And um this is a part of the Enneagram Daily Reflection series. Suzanne Stabile is the series editor for this and uh, is published through InterVarsity Press's IVP for Mafio division, mm. which is their spiritual <laughs> formation line. We'll be doing so many exciting things this year. We did the learning to be experienced. We had the learning to be immersive, which was a um, four or five hour Saturday, one day retreat. And now we're birthing the learning to be a masterclass, finding your freedom, living a life you really love. And so um, that's just rolling out new ways of taking this material, uh, this transformational material to new and deeper levels uh, for people who are interested in that kind of transformation and development that can occur uh, while we're in the chrysalis. That sounds amazing. And not to worry, everybody, those links will be in the show notes. And so you don't have to catch it on the fly as you're hearing it. <laughs> You'll be able to Yay. just click on the links in the show notes. And I know that there are going to be a lot of you who want to connect with Juanita and see what she's, uh, this amazing work that she's doing. Uh, I want to thank you for spending this time with me and, uh, and, and gracing the grace space with your presence. Um. Thank you so much. It's been a dear pleasure. And I didn't consider it spending time. It was an investment. <laughs> and investments always pay great dividends, whether it's in a laugh or a smile or a friendship or yeah. a hug across the mm -hmm. waters. Well, feel a virtual hug from me right now and feel uh, both of it. us embracing all of you who are listening. Uh, mm. Receive the love and the peace of the Holy Spirit uh, mm. through this conversation. And uh, I just feel very grateful too. And I look forward to our next conversation, Juanita. I love it. Thanks, Claire. Thank you for joining me in the grace space where you're always in the right place. If you love this podcast, I invite you to subscribe to it and submit a review if you feel called to do so. Also, be sure to sign up for my newsletter right here. I look forward to spending this time with you again next week. Meanwhile, I send you love and blessings. Bye for now.